The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastabl.org. Morning, church. How are we? I'm glad that the snow didn't keep you away. Thanks for being here. (laughs) For any of you who uh, are watching online because the snow did keep you away, we love you. Um, Just kidding, (laughs) kidding, 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 kidding. Hey, if you got a Bible and I hope you do, open it up to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, If you are new around here, welcome. My name's Brian, and I'm really thankful that you're here with us uh, to worship this morning. Uh, to open the scriptures and to hear about Jesus. And uh, I hope that today is a blessing for you. Um, f- let me just catch up anyone who hasn't been here. We um, are two churches who've come together as one. And so we've spent the first six weeks or so of this year um, in a, basically a membership class. Uh, I've just stretched it out over uh, six weeks so that we could get everybody up to speed on who we are and, and what we feel like God wants us to be as a congregation. So for those of you who have been part of Missio Day or part of Bent Creek, um, I've been showing you this membership packet every week. Uh, we have more printed. Uh, it's also on the website right on the front page. You can go there and get it. But what's important about this, this has all like the little nitty gritty detail about constitution and bylaws and all the boring stuff. But the last two pages right here, this front and back, is the membership application and so my hope is at the end of this series that, that each of you who desire to be part of this congregation as a covenant member will fill this out real briefly and then turn it back in starting next week. We'll have a way to collect those and uh, you can turn that back in. And then through the month of March, uh, we'll be welcoming officially uh, all of our covenant members who are part of Steadfast now, okay? Now, if you're new, just kicking the tires on Jesus or Christianity or uh, church, that's fine. No pressure. You can just sit and, and be part of this thing and not have to feel that pressure. But for those who want it, uh, it is here. So, um, as I said, we're in the middle of, or rounding out, really, uh, this six-week series. And, and what we've been trying to do in this series is I'm not doing the, the detail, right? I'm doing high-level vision. Who do we think... God wants us to become? What kind of church, by his grace, do we think Jesus wants us to build here for his glory and for the good of our city? And so um, here's where we've been, just real briefly. Week one, we looked at the foundation for any church, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? The, the foundation of the perfect life, sacrificial substitutionary death, and glorious resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ for all of us who would receive him with empty hands of faith, that we are forgiven, we are freed, we are welcomed into the family of God by Jesus alone through that cross. And that leads us to be people who worship, who love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. Week two, we looked at Jesus' call that we would love one another in such a otherworldly way that it is obvious to the watching world that we belong to Jesus. Then we looked at our mission, the, the call from Jesus to bear witness to the reality of Christ and his kingdom in this world. Then we looked at the culture that we think God wants us to build in this congregation that we want to be known not just for our purity of doctrine, but for the reality and the beauty of our community here. 
So there's, there's a certain way that we interact with one another based on the gospel that, that, that smells of heaven when we're here. And then that, last week we looked at, that culture, that kingdom culture sort of bleeds out of our lives and out of our families and out of our communities into the larger, uh, broader city and community in which we live. And when a church becomes all that the Lord wants it to be, it feels like Jesus is there. And it feels like Jesus is there because Jesus is there. An alternative community that in a way has come down from above. Full of humility and joy and grace and openness. Because we are starting to look more and more like Jesus himself. Now no church is perfect. Not even this one. We aren't and we won't be. But we hope to be something of the beauty of Jesus. Living proof of what only God can do in us and through us for his glory and for the good of our city. Amen? And so today I have one very simple question and one very simple passage. The question I want to ask and try to answer is how do we get there? How do we actually become this kind of church that we've spent the last five weeks talking about? And that brings us to Colossians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles open, uh, we're going to read really the first, uh, read verses 2 through 6. But really, we're just going to camp out in one verse this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in front of you there, but it'll also be on the screen. Colossians chapter 4, join me as I read verses 2 through 6. How do we get there? Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to be your children, grateful to be gathered in this uh, room this morning, grateful for the presence of your Holy Spirit with us, and grateful for your word, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me and empower me as I preach this word, that it would be clear as I ought to speak, that you would help me to rightly divide this text, that it would be a blessing and encouragement and a challenge to the people who hear it, that you might use your word by your spirit to bring some from death to life, to bolster the faith of others, to convict, and more than anything, to, to make us more like you. That's why we're here. That's why we got up in the cold and the rain and the dark, some of us, and drove all the way down here because we want God. So God, would you meet with us here this morning? We pray in your beautiful name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right, so we're focusing really just on this one verse, verse two. How do we get there? Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And so that's my three points. 
<laughs> steadfastness, uh, watchfulness, and thankfulness. We're going to look at those together. You guys ready? All right. So Paul wrote this to a church, the church at Colossae. Most of you, some of you might know that. And uh, the church at Colossae was dealing with a similar issue that we face in our own city, which is the claims of Christianity were growing increasingly unpopular. And believers in churches were under pressure to conform to the culture, to, to adopt other practices, other spiritualities, to blend them with their Christian faith, to make it more um, unoffensive to the culture around them. And there were some in the churches who were actually changing their doctrine. They, they, were, they were bringing in other doctrines and they were changing their doctrine in order to make Christianity more palatable to the masses. And Paul wrote this letter to clarify, to correct, and to encourage the church. And right here at the end, he gives a lot of theology in the first few chapters, but right here towards the end in chapter 4, he tells the church, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the scriptures, I like to ask questions of the text. And so the first question that pops in my mind when I see Paul say, continue steadfastly in prayer, is what kind of people need to be told to continue steadfastly in prayer? And the answer is, a people just like us. <laughs> a people who were tempted to give up, to give in. Because prayer is hard and continuing steadfastly in prayer is even harder. To continue steadfastly, this word means to persevere, to actually, uh, one, one uh, definition which I loved was to persist obstinately. <laughs> okay, so we can acknowledge two things. Number one, as believers, we know that prayer is vital to our relationship with our Creator. And number two, almost all of us are not any good <laughs> at intentional ongoing, persistent prayer. And if we can admit those two things, prayer is vital to my relationship with the Lord and I stink at it. You know what that does? It puts us right at home with spiritual giants. Here's Luther. Martin Luther in the 1500s had his mic turned up a little louder than everyone else's. Um, 95 Theses, Wittenberg Door, Reformation, here I stand, I can do no other, that Luther, okay? Spiritual giant, yes? Okay, here's what he said. Unfortunately, I sit here like a fool and hardened in leisure, pray little, do not sigh for the church of God. In short, I should be ardent in the spirit, but I am ardent in the flesh, in lust, laziness, leisure, and sleepiness. Already eight days have passed in which I have, not, I have written nothing, in which I have not prayed or studied. This is partly because of temptations of the flesh and partly because I am tortured by other burdens. Sound familiar to any of us? <laughs> and me too. Me too. Prayer's hard. Now, not intrinsically. It's not as though God put, you know, speed bumps and obstacles in our way on purpose and said, figure it out, good luck, right? It's not that prayer is hard intrinsically. It's, be it's because of our fallen condition. At its heart, prayer is simple. It's just talking and listening to God our Father, right? 
but it's incredibly challenging. It's not easy. Sometimes prayer is hard because there are things that are true about God that we do not believe. And so I don't know if you've experienced this, but when you go to pray, God can seem unreal or distant, cold, unable, unwilling. None of those things are true. Sometimes prayer is hard because there are untrue things about ourselves that we do believe. For example, that we're self-sufficient or that we're not worthy or that we're not important enough for God to hear or answer our prayer. But the, the, the reality is many of us are just plain not needy enough. But what if, what if all the doctrine that Paul wrote about in Colossians is actually true? That, that Jesus is there, that he's the image of the invisible God who is the creator of all things, who is before all things, who holds all things together, who has reconciled us to the Father through his blood to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him, that he has, as Jimmy mentioned, I'm so glad he did, canceled the record of debt that was against us with all its demands, nailing it to the cross, that he has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. If Colossians is true, and it is, then let's pray like everything depends on Jesus because it does. Whether we feel like it or not. Whether we want to or not. So, so continue, he says, steadfastly. Steadfastness, that's my first point, right? That we should pray with steadfastness. But then he says, and I'll reread the verse again. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Being watchful in it. Now, it's amazing to me how, how one verse can be so realistic. Why do they need to be told to be watchful in their steadfast prayer? <laughs> because they're not. Because and don't you uh, resonate with this? How often are we not watchful in our prayers? Watchful being alert, aware, vigilant in our prayers. Anybody want to cop to that? Just me? Okay, fine. How many of us honestly struggle with not even wanting to pray? And we find all kinds of other things to do, Right? We have some free time. We think, oh, I could pray right now. I could ask God to show up on my behalf. But you know, this floor needs cleaning. And it ain't going to clean itself. Or I got to get to these emails. Or, right, I got to change the oil. Or the kids need me. Whatever. And we find all kinds of reasons to avoid doing the most important thing, which is to get on our knees before the Lord. How many of you get totally distracted and drift when you're trying to pray? Anybody? Come on, you got to work with me, people. All right, there we go. See, bunch of liars. Okay. <laughs> That's really going to elicit more participation, right, than I call you liars. 
Some of you tonight, some of you tonight will be locked in on every play of that game. Some of you can watch an entire baseball game. Some of you can watch golf and pay attention. Some of you get absorbed in a novel or in an album or totally lost in a motion picture. And then when it comes time to pray, what happens? Squirrel, right? And we're off and lost. We pray DHD. (laughs) All of a sudden, rises up in us. Why does that happen? Because it's a fight. Prayer is spiritual warfare, folks. We have a real enemy who wants to keep us from the most important thing, which is to pray. Because he knows, as J.C. Ryle once said, prayer is the mightiest weapon that God has placed in our hands. And so we must be sober-minded and watchful. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. Why? Because the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. Continue steadfastly in prayer and be watchful in it. Now, sometimes we're not watchful because we grow weary from praying for the same thing over and over again and we don't see answers. Just like the disciples. (laughs) I was thinking about that passage uh, this morning when Jesus asks Peter, James, and John to pray with him at the garden, you know? And what do they do? This is like Jesus' greatest hour of need. He needs his closest friends to pray, to be watchful. And what do they do? Fall asleep. Twice. I don't know about you, but like if Jesus woke me up once, I would just be like, stay awake, Robins. Like, just keep it together. And they fall asleep again. We live in an always-on, microwave, 5G, one-day shipping, instant gratification culture. And many of us have no idea what a long obedience in the same direction should look like. And that's one of the reasons, among many, that I'm so grateful for this partnership of our two churches because we have some well-seasoned saints in this room who can, who can show us what it looks like to pray for 30 years for your child to come to know the Lord. We pray for a while, we don't see an answer, and so we determine either God can't or he won't, Or he said no, and we stop. We give up. We move on. And and Jesus gives us stories, right? Um, Luke 18, he gives us the, the parable, the persistent widow. And in the text, it says, now Jesus gave this parable so that we might always pray and not lose heart. And if you don't know the story, I'll summarize really quickly Uh, There's a widow. She comes to an unjust judge. And what she's asking for is for him to advocate for her needs. Because as a widow in the first century, she would have had no rights. And so she comes to the judge and she's asking him, hey, can you advocate for me? Because my husband is dead and I need some stuff. And 
he ignores her and she comes back and he ignores her and she comes back and he ignores her and every day she goes to him just pleading and begging and bothering him and finally he says, though I don't honor the God that you God, that, that you honor, yet because of your persistence, I will give you what you ask for because you're bothering me. You keep bothering me and I'll give you what you ask for. And Jesus says, if, if the unjust judge will do that for this woman, how much more will your father who loves you. There's a mystery of God in which he often tests our hearts and our faithfulness through prayer. And it, and it's, it often happens that right at the moment that we are tempted to give up, we are just around the corner from a breakthrough. Some of you can absolutely testify to that. Charles Spurgeon is a London Baptist preacher in the 1800s, and, and he put it this way. This is in reference to um, Matthew chapter 7, ask, seek, knock, you know that passage? This is what Spurgeon said. <clears throat> if for a while the heavens are as brass and your prayer only echoes in thunder above your head, pray on. If month after month your prayer appears to have miscarried, and no reply has been granted, yet still continue to draw near unto the Lord. Knock, knock, and knock again, and add to your knocking and to your asking, seeking, and be not satisfied until you get a real answer. Reminds me of Jacob, right? Wrestling with God, and what does he say? I will not let you go until you bless me. And so Paul's admonition to the church continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it but he's not done you guys with me so far look at the last line here continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with what thanksgiving thankfulness okay why did they need to be told to remain thankful because <laughs> they weren't same reason we need to be told that right because they were not good at looking back. Thankfulness is a function of our awareness of God's activity in our lives. That's what always gets me about like award shows when you see people up there who clearly have like do not follow Jesus, do have nothing to do with God and they're just like I'm just so thankful for all the blessings and you're like who are you thankful to? The stars? The universe, like you can't be thankful unless you're thankful to someone. And thankfulness for us, gratitude, is a function of our awareness of God's activity, his presence in our lives. That's why the, one of the most frequent commands in these scriptures is to remember. The first one is do not fear. And the second one is remember. And often they're tied together. Do not fear. Why? Because remember, I'm with you. <laughs> But he tells the people of God over and over and over again, remember, remember, remember. Why? Because he knows we are so tempted to forget. We forget how good God is. We forget his presence. We forget the, his power at work in our lives. And when we, when we will look back with, and, and, and remember what God has done, it brings a humility to us because we realize we didn't, we didn't do this. This is God's work. He has done this. But remembering what God has done in the past also gives us hope and joy 
for the future, doesn't it? When you see how faithful God has been, it gives you confidence for what God will do. Um, Psalm 126 is one of my favorite psalms, and it's all about that. Um, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were glad. That's looking back. We're thankful for what he did do, right? And then it moves on, and they say, restore us again, O Lord. Because where they are is not where they were. Restore us again. And then the very last line, or one of the last lines of Psalm 26 says, though we go, though we go out sowing in tears, we will reap with shouts of joy. There's a confidence, right? There's a hope. There's a longing. I know what God has done. I'm pleading for him to do it again, and I have confidence that he will for his glory and for my good. In other words, gratitude fuels expectancy. Not presumption. There's a difference between expectancy and gratitude. We are supposed to pray with expectancy, but not presumption. I I said that wrong. Presumption and expectancy are different things. We don't presume upon the kindness of the Lord, but we pray expectantly because we're his children whom he loves. I have a friend um, named Leonce. He's a pastor, African-American pastor in Atlanta. And uh, I was on this trip with him one time to Brazil, and he was telling us about some of the phrases they have in the African-American church that really go right in line with this. And so some of you heard me say this before, but um, the first phrase that he told us about was, um, ain't he good? Ain't he good? And what that does is that's a reminder. You're looking back at what God has done, and you say, ain't he good? Because look at what he did. You see what I'm saying? Okay, then the next phrase was, won't he do it? There's an expectancy, there's a a confidence. And then the last phrase is, watch him work. Watch him work. Isn't that amazing? You and I have had a front row seat to watching God work over this last six months. And the integration of these two congregations into one, as seamlessly as it has happened, is a work only God could do, especially because we're Baptists. (laughs) Won't he do it? You're getting it. Okay, I got it. Here we go. And, And so as we enter into this new year together, God stands ready to bless us. The cross of Christ makes it obvious that that God desires our blessing with all of his being. What is the Lord unwilling to do for us to the praise of his glorious grace in 2023? My question, though, is when we pray, if we pray, do we expect that God will answer? Do we expect that mighty things can happen as his people pray? Or are we like that double-minded man in James chapter 1 who is praying but doesn't really expect an answer to his prayers? Literally, he's two-faced. He's looking in two different directions at the same time. Double-minded. Um, I have another friend who, who, uh, who said one time, and I love this line, prayer is how God unlimits our future. 
prayer is how God unlimits our future. How is that? Um, Jesus said this multiple times. With God, all things are possible. (laughs) All things are possible with him. And in this text, we're not going to get to it because I really just wanted to focus on this one verse, but in this text, Paul is not just teaching on prayer, he's actually asking for prayer. Did you notice that? Pray also for us. And what's he, do you remember, okay, let me back up a second. Do you remember, anybody remember where Paul is as he's writing the letter to the Colossians? Jail. He's in prison. He's in prison. And what's he, what's he asking these believers to pray for? At the same time, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door, not to the prison, for the word. Pray for open doors. Pray for opportunities for the word of God to go forth. In in some ways, um, and I think we learned this in our study of the book of Acts, Paul doesn't care if he gets out of prison. He sees even his imprisonment as an opportunity for the gospel to go forward to the point where he says, um, I think it's in Philippians, even the entire imperial guard has now heard. (laughs) They chain him to a guard. He's like, let's do this. Let me tell you about Jesus. (laughs) Like, what are you going to do to me? I'm already chained to you in prison. Like, there's not much lower I can go here. So let me tell you about the gospel. I love that, right? So he's, he's, praying for opportunities for open doors because Paul knows it's prayer that makes all the difference because God opens doors and God opens hearts and speaking of Spurgeon you know how much I love Spurgeon Um, some of you heard this story before but it it bears repeating Uh, okay so Spurgeon lived in the 1800s he preached it's estimated to more than 10 million people in the course of his ministry Um, at Metropolitan Tabernacle primarily, and that is without amplification or microphones or anything like that, okay? Not 10 million at once, but thousands and thousands in the room at a time over the course of many years. 10 10 million people, it's estimated, that he preached to, and untold numbers of thousands, probably tens of thousands, responded to the gospel in saving faith under the preaching of Charles Spurgeon. Now, there's a story told about some college students, and I'm I'm just going to read it for you really briefly, because you might ask, like, where did, where did that power come from, right? How was Spurgeon able to preach so ferociously and boldly and, and God use it so mightily to change the lives of so many people? Five young college students were spending a Sunday in London, so they went to hear the famed C.H. Spurgeon preach. While waiting for the doors to open, the students were greeted by a man who asked, gentlemen, let me show you around. Would you like to see the heating plant of this church, the boiler room? They were not particularly interested, for it was a hot day in July. (laughs) But they didn't want to offend the stranger, and so they consented. The young men were taken down a stairway. A door was quietly opened, and there the guide whispered, This is our heating plant. Surprised, the students saw 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. Softly closing the door, the gentleman then introduced himself It was none other than Charles Spurgeon. How do we become the kind of church we believe God is calling us to become by his grace and for his glory? 
continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We have many weaknesses, many faults. I am chief among them. And yet I believe with all my heart that, that God's hand and his spirit are upon us. And we are called to display imperfectly but tangibly something of the beauty and the glory of Jesus to a world that is dying and going to spend eternity without him. And it's the privilege of every single one of us right here, right now, to ask God to do what only God can do among us. Prayer is not an option among many for the spiritual Navy SEALs. Okay? It is oxygen for sinners and failures like us. I don't know if you've seen any of the news reports in the last few days, but there is something going on at Asbury University in Kentucky right now. It started Wednesday morning with a normal chapel service at this small college, and a sermon was preached on repentance. And uh, it was dismissed, and everybody left, and a few students lingered. And then a few more came back, and a few more came back, and a few more came back. And since Wednesday afternoon, that chapel has been filled with people 24 hours a day, seven, like all until even, I believe it's still going on even this morning. People praying, worshiping, repenting, believing. It's revival. And it can happen here as, what, as quickly as it can happen anywhere else. Now, I planned this message months ago. I planned this passage months ago. But it seems to me like the best thing for us to do right now is to pray. So here's what we're going to do. I have a couple asks of you, and then uh, we're going to do something a little different than we normally do in our time of response, okay? So if you're new, don't be weirded out. We don't do this either, okay? It's new for us, um, and I don't want to make it weird for anybody, okay? So I'll give you instructions. But here's a couple asks I have for you. Will you, steadfast, will you, people of steadfast, commit to praying for your church daily from now until at least Easter? Pray for me. I have no shame in asking you to pray for me. Pray for your elders and your leaders, your community group leaders. Pray for the staff. Pray for the unity of this church, for God's provision. Pray for God to use us mightily to see more people come to Jesus. Pray for your lost friends and neighbors and family members. Would you do that? Okay. Secondly, if you're in a group, community group, Bible study, whatever, would you, for this season, prioritize prayer in your group? Maybe you start your meeting with prayer. 
instead of tacking it on at the end. We're all guilty of it. I do it too. Okay? Would we, take, would we carve out time in those group settings to pray first, to seek the Lord first? And then thirdly, I want to invite you. Um, it's the first, I believe it's the first Sunday, first Sunday of every month. There is a group of people uh, who take an, uh, a classroom upstairs here before service, and, and they are our boiler room. They're the heating plant, okay? Praying once a month that God would do what only God can do in the life of this church. Would you take one of those next few months, once that first Sunday, and would you just join them? Just join them. Just sit in. Let's pray. Nobody wants to go when they first, <laughs> when you're driving there, you don't want to be there. And then once it's over, you're so glad you went. So those are my three asks. Now here's what we're going to do. You know we usually take a minute or so of, of quiet and still before communion happens. We're going to extend that time just by a few minutes here, okay? There's going to be some prayer prompts on the screen for you, okay? And so I just want you to go through those prayer prompts as you feel led and just pray. Now you can pray by yourself. You can pray quietly. You can pray out loud. You can pray with your family or your spouse. You can come down here to the front if you want to pray. But I'm going to invite you to just spend a few minutes praying through those prayer prompts, and then the communion service will come up in about, let's call it three minutes or so from, from when I finish praying. Uh, I'll give you the signal, but you guys can come up, and then we'll go into our time of communion, okay? So uh, we'll have four stations, two here, two here. You'll come down these aisles, okay, to the station, and then as you make your way back, you'll go up the sides, okay? Uh, we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to have another few minutes of prayer, There'll be an additional set of prompts up there for you. It'll be still and quiet. The band might play just a little bit softly, but you'll have some time to pray, okay? And then we'll sing another song, and then we'll take another few minutes of time for prayer, okay? So we're just going to stretch our responsive music out by interspersing it with times of prayer. Can we do that? Okay? Don't, we're not trying to make it weird for anybody. If you're weirded out by it, go sit in the lobby and pray. That's fine. But... Uh, I want to give you the freedom to respond to the Lord to how you feel led to respond. You can pray right there. You can stand up, sit down, be on the, uh, I don't like calling this an altar. It's stairs, okay? You can go to the steps if you want. But we just want to seek the Lord. We want to spend some time praying. I can't preach on prayer and then be like, move on to the next thing. We're going to pray, okay? So let me pray for you. You pray for me. And then uh, we'll move into our time of response. Father, you are so kind. You are so gracious to us. And I am constantly amazed at what has taken place here in the last several months as you have called Bent Creek and Missio Day to become steadfast together. Only you could do this. But we're not done. I believe you still have great things ahead for this congregation, and so we want to come before you in humility and in openness to whatever it is that you want to do among us. And so as we spend time now just quiet or vocalizing our prayers, we, we want to come before you in prayer, in dependence, and in pleading with you to do what only you can do. Would you be honored with our prayers as we repent before you, as we confess, as we, um, as we just acknowledge that we need you, that we want you. 
And so, Lord, just, just move among us as we pray by your Spirit, as we sing, as we participate in communion, remembering the body and blood of Jesus, which gives us the right to be called the children of God. We have the privilege to come before you. So be honored and glorified, Lord, as we, as we worship you through prayer and song now. We pray this all in the beautiful name of Jesus. And we pray by the power of your spirit. Amen.